Welcome everyone. Um, this is the first episode in a new series that we are describing as Cultures and Conversations, Preludes and Postscripts. It's a series, a podcast series that we are launching as Africa in partnership with Al-Sikal Advisory. We are really, really honored to be doing this. And today we have a jam-packed slate of um, panelists as part of our episode entitled Humanizing Cities. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce all of our uh, guests. We start with Vilma Yerkut, the executive director of Al Sarkal. Welcome, Vilma. Charles Landry, author and international authority on urban change. Rupali Gupte and Prasad Shetty, uh, co-founders of Bard Studio and founding members of the School of Environment and Architecture. And Hamid Abu Khamsin, co-founder of Civil Architecture, operating out of Bahrain and Kuwait. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So I think I'd like to start um, talking a little bit about what I just said, which is this is a conversation series about something called Cultures in Conversation, um, which was commissioned by Expo 2020 Dubai and programmed by Al-Sirkal Advisory. And since we have somebody from Al-Sirkal here, um, Vilma, can you sort of take us a little behind the curtain and explain a little bit about what this series uh, was and is and what you hope it might be going forward. So the way we got involved with the expo in general, I think just as a circle, um, many who know us, right? Uh, circle is a plural organization. We live in so many dimensions as uh, an institution. Uh, we live in the form of a neighborhood, of a community, of a foundation, cultural production. And so we never found ourselves in isolation. Uh, through our collaborative spirit, we work with the city, we work with the community. And so when Expo came about, we knew that there will have to be some sort of involvement in, in, as part of this incredible project, not only for the city of Dubai, but really for the world. Uh, especially that it's the first expo to take place within Manasa uh, in its history. And uh, an Al-Sarkal advisory was born uh, just last year. So the, the timing was right uh, for us to partner on cultures and conversation and really create this uh, alternative dimension as part of people in uh, planet program, uh, which is conceptualized by the expo and it runs throughout six months and consists of 10 uh, theme weeks. And the diversity of subjects we felt offered a meta-narrative for reflection, uh, awareness, and um, really the reinvigorated uh, approaches uh, that we felt we can include from all over the world, uh, just um, from our own network uh, of incredible minds that we've been working with for the past a decade or more. And so we brought together some of the world's leading thinkers and practitioners from various disciplines um, to join the dialogue and help us address and reimagine critical contemporary issues that we are faced with today um, as, as we try to kind of dissect and um, really reimagine some of these very urgent subjects from climate and biodiversity to rural and urban development to knowledge and learning, water, uh, to mention a few. Um, 
which uh, I think the entire planet is obviously at the crossroads of uh, identifying these um, uh, solutions. And again, it's a series of attempts and it's a research informed view. Um, I think the, the intent from our side was that this creates some sort of uh, foundation or fundamentals for future investigation, change and research. Um, so we are not viewing this as something that will end in the next six months. We are really actively building um, this repository of knowledge and uh, some sort of archive that we can later utilize for uh, further change once uh, Expo is over. So I'm curious how you sort of developed the content and thought through that process of figuring out what conversations are you're interested in having. And then I'm also curious about who the audience was and is that you were sort of hoping to converse with. A lot, I mean, the subjects and, and the thematic weeks we've inherited, no? So it's something that was conceptualized by the expo, but, um, but the fact that they trusted us to then conceptualized cultures and conversations, I think um, in itself demanded for this kind of alternative unconventional view, which is what Al-Sirkad is really known for, uh, just through our work and practice over the past 10 years. And so it was really important that we challenge some of the inherited approaches and dated views and um, really dissect uh, certain epistemologies apply to these subjects and that we view it from very interdisciplinary uh, perspective. Uh, it was uh, imperative that we involve academics, poets, artists, um, researchers to be part of this conversation and dialogue, but not only on stage, the kind of work that goes into each week our months of conversations and research uh, amongst all participants involved and, and us personally as a Sarkar, because it's really important that we produce new forms of knowledge, that we um, look at alternative methodologies and, and include voices from different geographies uh, that allows for that kind of polarity. Um, as part of those conversations and program itself. Amazing. Great. So I want to sort of open up some of the other panelists. Thanks, Vilma. Charles, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you sort of, you know, you're known for this concept of the creative city. And Expo 2020 is, you know, this, this place that is largely trying to explore um, and highlight what a city might be and could be um, going forward. I'm curious about your impression of um, Expo 2020 and some of the dialogue that's going on there, given what you spoke about um, in your keynote. I mean, I think the bigger themes, you know, mobility, opportunity, and sustainability, obviously, you know, big packages, a big envelope within which lots can fit. But, uh, but my sense is one could have even gone further. There were some um, pavilions that I've seen which, which are quite impressive, but obviously the thing about Expos is really to dare 
say, well, what is the role of an expo? We know what the great exhibitions were when people traveled because they'd never seen products and things from other nations, but now we're obviously in a different world. So I think what one might have done is even been more demanding and said, okay, sustainability, well, every pavilion's got to be sustainable. It's got to be at the highest levels of circular economy thinking and so on. And what I find interesting is those pavilions that are not really marketing exercises for themselves. Now, obviously, I realise that a very poor country in the middle of Africa, what can they say apart from saying, well, we produce this and we produce that and come and visit me? I understand that completely. But nations and countries with greater resources, I really feel they have a responsibility to be a leader. And it's quite interesting, the two, let's call them for the moment, the global powers, USA and China, they were both so self-focused. I just thought... What are you giving to the world rather than just saying, oh, we invented this and we invented that? The actual sustainability pavilion itself, going under into the forest and all of that, was very well curated. You went down and you saw that obviously fungi and uh, roots connect with each other and stuff. And then suddenly the hall of consumption. And I thought that was the dramatic dramaturgie in German, they say, I don't know what you say in English, uh, was really well done. So I would say there were highlights and there were lowlights. Hearing, you know, hearing you give your keynote, I got a sense of an entire career's worth of uh, meditation on this, on this idea. Um, you know, you spoke about the moment in, in Bilbao. I, I'm curious how sort of your thinking about the creative city has sort of evolved over the years. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, initially the trigger was, uh, you know, the world's changing dramatically. What do we do? We need to provide the conditions for people and organizations and cities to think, plan and act with imagination in order to solve problems and create opportunities. That's the one sentence summary. Over time, I, it shifted a bit. Obviously, art was initially really a key thing for me because it was about identity and, you know, places ask themselves, who are we, what are we, what culture have we got? All we've got is who we are. It shifted through time towards focusing on social innovation, other forms of innovation, business innovations, and so on. One thing that was underlying all the time was something I, I coined civic creativity but uh, I don't think I emphasized it much too not strongly enough really and now if you talk to me I'm always thinking what is the ethical frame what is our intent what is our ambition it's better to be the most creative place for the world rather than the most creative place in the world that notion of giving back. And there have been places around the world that do that well. I mean, Bandung in, in Indonesia, for example, says it's an emerging creative city, it's trying. So it's really, I'm interested in that notion of the journey. This is never an end result. It's a place, it's, it's thinking about being aware and awake, really. I'd love to talk to uh, Rupali and Prasad a little bit about your work, um, it seemed to be about challenging the narrow frameworks of planning and developing, creating uh, unconventional tools that are inspired by the informal, the hidden, the unnoticed. I'm curious if you can sort of explain 
how you guys do your work and how you you crafted that conversation and what the reception was. How about Rupali, how about we start with you and then Prasad, you can uh, jump in anytime. So yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for that question. Um, you know, I think one of the things uh, is really sort of important to, to think of the field uh, being not a space of study. And that's what where we come from that um, also in, in our own sort of pedagogical processes, uh, starting to think of, of, of more sort of relationships of friendships, you know, where, where cities then become kind of a field of friends rather than, um, you know, clients or, or, or people who you're studying in some ways, right? So I think that's that's in some ways uh, the approach, you know. Um, and then if you kind of uh, just sort of also referencing uh, the lecture, um, they, we've sort of started to kind of rethink. And, and because we also, in some ways, the last 15 years uh, came from practices of, you know, urban design, planning, um, and then, you know, sort of kind of working from, on the field, we realized that, things were going wrong, you know, things weren't working the way uh, we had expected them to work. Uh, and that's when we started realizing that we need to change the tools. Um, and, and then we started saying, you know, that, that you start looking at what cities kind of already have. Um, and that's when we devised this idea of thinking of the transactional capacities that's, that cities have. And what is really sort of uh, you know, how, how do transactional capacities work uh, in the sense of starting to think of things that, that you exchange and, and those the, the things that you exchange could, you know, not be sort of shying from money exchange, you know, um, but also kind of then turning to livelihoods, but then turning to kind of kinship networks, friendship networks, ideas of security, uh, idea of sort of, you know, uh, situatedness, uh, working with ideas of also, you know, multiple imaginations, you know, so what you're doing then uh, on the field is, you know, on your nudging, you're nudging things rather than dictating things, rather than kind of coming up with set frameworks of thinking of where cities should be. Um, and that's where the dangers are, you know, that we're starting to look at standardized ways of, of thinking of cities and almost sort of uh, imposing logics on cities rather than starting to, you know, think of where these logics come from and, and kind of pushing them and, you know, nudging them a little bit. So, yeah. Hamid, I'm, I'm curious about, um, because you, you, you on this call have a, a particular perspective on the GCC that some of us may not have. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about some of the learnings um, and some of the evolution around the thinking about cities in the GCC um, over the course of your career and where you hope the, the thinking is, is going? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's a great question and a very pertinent question at this day, uh, day and age, just because what we're noticing within, uh, within the GCC and particularly within the development of the city is this importation of city practices, planning practices, without kind of critically questioning how they're being applied to uh, on the ground, without even questioning context and um, the history of context and societies and uh, communities that are in, uh, that live within uh, the region. And I think what we have, uh, uh, at least what we do in our practice is we try to kind of reveal or try to uh, showcase the region's history when it comes to examples of planning that have been very communal, that have uh, sought to kind of activate 
communal practices uh, amongst uh, different members of our society. So I would say it's uh, important just to always question and not uh, question the one size fits all solution that has been uh, the uh, form of de facto practice within our part of the world, uh, which has see uh, seen the growth of our cities uh, uh, develop su suburbs and uh, really dis uh, demolish any form of historical context that was present over here. Can you give an example of, of a sort of traditional practice or a traditional sort of thing I, that I can sort of uh, go into Google and search and say, what, what's Hamid talking about? Sure, uh, sure yeah. thing. I mean, one of the things that we had brought up in the presentation was the issue of precedence when it comes to architectural precedence or urban precedence that tend to, that are usually referenced when uh, coming up with new ideas or new forms of urbanization uh, that are proposed for the Gulf. People usually tend to go to this your stereotypical courtyard homes and these kind of aggregation of courtyard homes and the kind of alleyways that form uh, within our cities, um, our past cities, in fact. Uh, and that would be the kind of generator of design. Well, uh, within the context of just say Kuwait, these, uh, these courtyard homes, these alleyways have been completely eradicated and they have, have uh, even faded away from memory. So is it possible to look into other things that could be uh, much more pertinent and much more applicable uh, to our current context, to our current uh, era? So the courtyard homes could be an example, but uh, as we talked about yesterday, uh, infrastructure being such a kind of important uh, form of collectivization that came about when it came into water distribution rights, hunting, uh, in uh, other examples that we didn't highlight yesterday, hunting rights, in fact, uh, when it came to, or grazing rights, uh, when it uh, comes to issues of uh, rights within the desert, uh, desert landscape or the greater kind of Arabian Peninsula. I thought it was very interesting what the the way you challenged the epistemology we apply to urban versus rural, yeah. and just this uh, how you opened yesterday's um, presentation by kind of making this claim that we were never urban. Yeah, no, a, a provocative title from our end, just uh, just because we thought of urbanity being so reliant on these networks of peop, uh, collaboration, these networks of commu uh, communal uh, planning, in fact, uh, in which you involve uh, different members of society uh, in a singular project of city expansion and everything else. So within, uh, when we mentioned uh, 2000 years of non-urban history, uh, and we referenced the cities of the past, particularly the cities of the Gulf, they didn't come about as this logical and singular vision. They came about as these uh, ho homes that organically arose and uh, these relations formed amongst themselves, but effectively they were uh, autonomous uh, state houses that lived in close proximity, but had their own autonomy. So when we referenced the landscapes of the peninsula, when we had referenced the either the water, uh, the fish traps along the Gulf Coast, the desert kites of Arabia, or the water irrigation channels, what we notice is a very purposeful uh, strategy of uh, for uh, formal planning and formal construction, uh, on which we then go again to say that is tahrid, which is formal line making, and that to us 
made much more sense uh, as an urban practice, which sought to kind of act, uh, really um, have the community partake in the uh, development of uh, the landscapes and the territories of uh, the region. Okay, I have a question for all of you. Typically when people get invited to speak on panels or to give keynote addresses or to be a part of a sort of a slate of speakers, the assumption or the presumption is that you are to be speaking to the audience members. Those on the stage are speaking to those in the seats. The, the truth is that that's not true, right? Uh, those are on the stage are speaking to anyone who can hear them and that includes the other speakers. Um, and really the idea is to have a conversation with everyone who is, um, is sort of coming to this single place and thinking about this issue. So I guess my, my question to all of you and Hamid, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of pinpoint you to start with, but I, I'd love to hear from all of you is, what are some questions that emerged from that event that you sort of scratch your head um, and started thinking to yourself, I either don't agree with this person or I don't think of it in the same way. And I'd love to be able to sort of pull them aside and say, and ask them, tell me a little more about this. It's not so much about uh, something that scratched my head, but it's more along the lines of a wish that I see kind of moving forward. And um, when, it uh, when it comes to kind of pr practice, uh, development of urban practice and planning practices within the region, it's, more involvement of people uh, that are from this part of the world uh, or wherever the con respective contexts are, uh, they are operating, right? It's uh, the necessity of, of embeddedness within the community and being part of the community uh, and listening to, uh, listening to them. So uh, it's much more, I wouldn't say it's questioning anybody's uh, intellectual project. It's much more of wishful thinking moving forward. Can I just add something? Um, I thought uh, something I wanted to know more about. I think the Rupali Prasad thing about um, uh, transactional capacities um, is interesting, obviously, because you sort of reduce things down and narrow them down. And what you then get is some stale, lifeless set of buildings floating in the landscape with no relationships to each other and complexity. What I wanted to know more was, can you give me three examples where someone has done this well and avoided that and been able to keep that? In relation to um, uh, Hamed, I wanted to know what the obstacles were to achieving his core idea, Ali and their core idea of bringing, really reinventing what a park is and I think that that was really refreshing. And I think, talk about examples that could be replicated, that could be replicated anywhere and would be a much more satisfactory type of environment than a flat piece of grass. Uh, Stephen, who isn't here, what I wanted to know more there, and this is a question that Ali asked, can you specifically tell me what happened when you did your interventions? And I wanted a, a sharper answer on that because I, I'm, I'm not obsessed by evaluation, but it's always helpful to know because that helps you then in the next project. Fantastic. Uh, Rupalia and uh, Prasad, I'd love to have you respond. Um, don't leave us hanging. 
I like the idea the way Mickey kind of, you know, uh, set it up for us, you know, opening. Otherwise, there is a hijack of the uh, of the of the urban community to a spatial configuration. You know? So, so you 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 extended the urban community into space and time, you know, and 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 made all the listeners and the entire world to kind of you know become the part of the community. And and I think I think that's a, that's a very nice thing that you kind of you know uh, set it up for us. Uh, and I think I think for us, uh, 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 of course, uh, the, uh, the 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 discussion yesterday. And the forward and the backward and the and the elongated time that we spent together, you know, had had lots and lots to kind of you know learn from and to kind of you know think about and keep it active in our minds, you know. Like for example, yesterday I think uh, Akwa was speaking about the impossibility of being remaining an art an, an artist in 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 certain contexts where where. Uh, where shape is so uh, state uh, uh, state controls institutions so uh, so strongly, or uh, what Wilma was kind of you know uh, 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 speaking about Al Sarkal about you know the 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 difficulty in remaining agile to create space for this madness uh, to kind of you know to exist uh, in in uh, in a context where uh, uh, where where institutions uh, you know. Uh, work with certain very firm uh, frameworks so i think i think i think there are there are plenty of things that that to to kind of you know take away from uh, you know from uh, uh, you know what what uh, 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 what the two days happened actually uh, to answer charles question charles's question i think uh, if you come to Bombay next, uh, then we'll walk you around uh, neighborhoods after neighborhoods where this happens, actually. Uh, but to kind of, you know, give pointed examples, uh, I think Korea's, uh, Charles Korea's uh, mall in Calcutta, uh, the mall that he built in Calcutta, one of the recent examples from uh, contemporary architects who do this, you know, the, the mall, which is otherwise kind of, you know, considered to be this black box of, uh, of desires. Uh, he kind of you know opens it up and lets the uh, streets kind of you know pass through it. Kind of you know brings about the whole thing. So so plenty of examples. But I think I think if one decides to look at at architecture which uh, which people put together and people have put together historically, there are plenty and plenty of examples. Yeah, I mean just to kind of. Uh add to that again like i said you know if we if we don't sort of separate uh, you know kind of of the project framework itself you know but think of space um, and and you know how space has been kind of provided and so it may not have come from an architect or you know or, or otherwise i think it's it's time to kind of not separate things in there in the sense of you know look at again a, a project as such so charles korea's example is one uh, but I mean, there were several examples in the, you know, the course of the, the talk as well, which we, we looked at where, you know, the idea of the porous house, for example, or, or this idea of, uh, you know, a, a public toilet, which then, uh, you know, ticks all the boxes in terms of, you know, it, it goes through, it's a project that has, you know, it gets funding, um, it looks like there's an infrastructure that is provided in the middle of a self-built settlement, you know, and it does all the right things. 
Um, but if you look a little deeper and you look a little closer, it doesn't work because you know it, it breaks down in, in course of time. Whereas if you look very closely at the embedded networks of the way uh, you know the lower level municipal staff had op actually operated in that place, they used the same funds but you know, in some ways kind of worked in ways that people had then individual toilets within their houses, you know, and it was so much more dignified. It turned that kind of space into a, a, a much nicer space to live in, you know. And then if you kind of start looking at cities, there are so many, many cases of, you know, where transactional capacities are high and, and across the world, actually. So just to kind of uh, answer your question, Charles, why, uh, why aren't, projects like this uh, kind of constructed or why is there this kind of susceptibility to uh, or uh, to accept uh, such things? I mean, uh, it's an issue for us to kind of like speak similar language, uh, languages. I mean, I, we, we discussed this yesterday uh, over dinner, but learning to speak the language of planning authorities and planning authorities learning to be open and uh, dare, dare I say even creative when it comes to challenging their kind of current modus operandi, how they operate when it comes to constructing and building cities. So it falls on to us really to kind of begin to not necessarily educate because uh, it's about explaining the, uh, the potential and uh, the positive outcomes or effects of projects that uh, we think uh, we think and what we hope are Beneficial to uh, beneficial to society or beneficial to uh, everyday urbanism. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to end with two questions. One for Vilma. Um, Vilma, I'd love to have you speak a little bit about Amalia Pika's work and how she her work was included, chosen to be included as part of Urban and Rural Development Theme Week. So again, it's part of cultures and conversation. It was really important that there is that artistic element. Uh, when we began conceptualizing this week, uh, there were two references that I think really inspired the subject. Uh, it, it began with Richard Sennett's work, who is known for developing this concept of open city. And uh, that aspect of claiming public space, the right to the public space. Amalia Pika's work, I felt summed up so well this in invisible interconnectedness and urban metabolism that we were discussing. We were able to kind of show and reflect it through that work, the power of grassroots mobilizing. We are very grateful for uh, Guggenheim um, Museum because they loaned us the work. And we involved students from NYU and Abu Dhabi who volunteered uh, to perform the work. Great. So the last question is a um, open-ended question, and this goes to all of you. What do you think the outlook is for the future um, on this uh, that uh, on this sort of topic? And what do you hope that people took away from the the uh, talk? I think one thing that that all three of us kind of you know spoke about was how uh, you know they, they were able to shift this this classical you know dominance of image with the energies of people energies of community energies of individuals and i think i think that shift was very important to have a public space you need a public 
So we focused on creating the public. You know, and how does one create the public? Because if you if you if you have a public space without the public, then it remains as a as a as a clientel kind of you know space. You know, it doesn't it doesn't become anything. And 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 if there is a public, it will generate its own space. It will kind of you know. So I think I think that's that's something which which we all kind of you know recognized and spoke about. And I think I think the second thing is how do we smudge? How do we blur things? No, how do we blur these boundaries? How do we kind of you know? Because then that in that smudge and blur, a lot more space is possible for many people to kind of you know exist and uh, uh, live and inhabit. And I think I think and and that smudge kind of you know the the, the thing with the smudge is it cannot be handled by the state or by by institutions. So I think I think that's something which Al Sarkal uh, also kind of you know struggling with you know how do you create that smudge smudge which allows many things to kind of you know happen together you know and I think I think that's an institutional challenge and I think that model to work with you no know, is is a, is, a, is a very important model. So I just to kind of um, you know add I think what was interesting in uh, you know the the panel that Wilma brought about was the diversity. You know, um, and and I think what was, and I think that's something to be said about the idea of the future as well. That the future is not singular. You know that the future is multiple. That there are multiple possibilities. There's no one teleological sort of frame that one can follow. And you know, even within these contexts that we are talking about, uh, there is there is a multiplicity in that as well. You know, so there are multiple futures, and I think it's important to kind of work with that, the idea of the multiple futures, and and really not impose a kind of singular logic or singular, uh, um, you know, project on on places. And I think that was really something to learn from. You know, in the in the case of the the the, the talk was only twenty minutes, but I think that extended sort of you know the conversation that we had backstage, you know, at dinner time, and you know the kind of soaking in, really sort of trying to understand each other. I think that was really important. So this, I would really kind of talk about the idea of multiple futures is something that I would take back from this this kind of conversation. Absolutely. I mean, just to uh, kind of echo what Rupali and Prasad had mentioned, which is the uh, idea of multiple futures, but also challenging all these kind of preconceived and established forms of planning, and uh, like city making or uh, construction within the built environment. I mean, it is, uh, it is high time to kind of really, uh, again, question this one size fits all uh, form of practice and be open to different forms of uh, for, forms of practice again. So it's uh, it's wonderful just kind of being able to see the parallels within Mumbai, within uh, uh, Johannesburg and uh, challenges all, uh, all across the globe and really uh, attempt to learn uh, from them and see, uh, and, uh, see their applicability within our, uh, each of our respective contexts. So absolutely that urban multivocality um, was really key, I think, in terms of the kind of urban textures, rhythms, polarities that exist. Um, and I think, how can we create a better dialogue between the global north and the global south by dislocating some of those hierarchies that we discussed and some of these logics that limit um, and channel them through very myopic academic lenses?
um, that do not reflect the reality of those cities at all. And actually what happens, then you end up with some sort of ill-fitting policies that were imitated or transferred uh, from elsewhere that again are not applicable. And I think what Prasad said, learning from these cities with the view of wanting to learn, not coming to teach, somehow that's been still the view from the global north to the global south, coming to teach, to change those cities, to become something else. And I think here we were, all we were focusing is what's gathered there. What are these metabolisms and circulations that shape cities that usually are part of the built environment, but are not synonymous to the built environment. Um, and I think lastly, um, part of this dialogue or, or this discussion or in terms of the kind of afterlife and, 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 and archive that we attempt to leave here, that this is something that hopefully can, can continue. Suppose I want to focus on three things, to work hard, to find ways that are simple but not simplistic, to communicate that drives the urgency and the need to act in order, therefore, to attract wider audiences to listen to this message. So that point about simple ways of communicating but not simplistic. Secondly, the whole thing about thinking afresh, which is implied by what everybody said, and to get out of the intellectual traps we often find ourselves in that are then reinforced by those who might tell us about all this stuff and so on, and therefore to escape from these deterministic pathways. That's probably my second point. The third, to understand that how places are made, shaped and co-created are basically combinations of the hard and the soft. And if one were to put it in simple terms, the soft is the hard. Much easier to think about the hard than the soft. Thank you for that. Um, well, this has been a really um, informative conversation. I think this uh, opens up more questions than it answers. Uh, I really appreciate this a lot. I'd like to thank all of you for making this time to share your thoughts with us. Um, and I think that all of the listeners who are listening to this podcast can watch the keynotes uh, online on elsatiska.online um, and engage with your work beyond this, uh, beyond this conversation. Um, hopefully this is the first of many. So thank you for joining us. Have a great thank day. You, Mike, thank you, Mike. I mean, we will always, I think that's another message, maybe what you just mentioned, is that we should be okay with complicating, we, sh we should attempt to complicate some of the subjects, because we've been simplifying them so much. All policymakers want bullet points, they want clear answers, they, they don't exist. And I, and I think that's what's gotten us where we are today, no? So Absolutely. Uh, in terms of Anthropocene and the world we live in and the challenges we are faced with. And so by complicating it, we can illuminate the kind of challenges that we can attempt to address. So sorry, we are leaving you with more questions <laughs> and answers. <laughs> it makes for, it makes for a, a, a better, more rich life. So thank you for enriching us. Um, okay, everybody. Thanks so much, and um, Thank you. that's it. <laughs>